Um, welcome to this week's episode of Baiju Billabong. Um, I'm Tim, the host. We got Regan, who's being late because he's from Queensland. Uh, got a time zone error. And today we got uh, three other guests. Um, so we got David uh, F, uh, JY, yeah. and Maria. Yeah. Um, anyway, just before we begin, I just want to thank the Indigenous people. Um, of Australia, because you know we are illegally on their land, and this is not cool. But yeah, um, how about let, let's begin with introductions. From I'm just going to go from top to bottom, organizing participants. Uh, David, yeah, do you, want, do you want to just introduce yourself and where you are? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm I'm David. I'm from the U.S. Been in China for about nine years now. Uh, I'm currently in Shenzhen, southern China, right across the. Uh, across the border from Hong Kong. Yeah, that's, and um, have you uh, been hungry recently or? Can't, can't say that I have. I've, uh, I've been, I've been eating my fill over the uh, holiday, holiday week as I imagine most are. That's good, that's good. Um, and what about you, JY? Yeah. Myself, um, so my name is Jean-Yves, but in, in short, just call me JY, from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. That's uh, Treaty 1 territory. So right now I'm in Beijing. Um, I'm doing a master's in international relations at uh, Renmin University of China, and also currently doing an internship at the China Britain Business Council as a researcher and an editor. Nice. Uh, as for... Uh, whether I'm, I'm hungry or not yeah like i i skipped lunch today but uh otherwise yeah doing okay i mean that's obviously propaganda because you're in the capital city you know they wouldn't let the capital starve they probably let you know someone like shanghai or in the south but they right, right. And because i because i'm a foreigner also they, they make sure that food's plenty for me but then you know it might not be for anyone else yeah i mean like um what do you call it? They got they had the N one or N two, like the year double amount even foreigner apparently, according to Eva Doe. Um, yeah, and how about you, Maria? Maria, sorry. <laughs> well, uh, my name is Maria. I'm from Peru. I'm living in Shanghai. It's already two years since I arrived, and I'm doing a, a PhD in history, well, in global history at Shanghai, Shanghai University. Oh. Yeah. And, and I'm, I have eaten today. Shanghai, at least, is okay. <laughs> I mean, because it's basically, well, Beishang Guang, Shang, you know, Shen. So it's like the, what, the you know, three out of the four biggest cities in China. But we actually got someone yeah, from... Hmm. First year representation is what we've got. I'm almost, almost Guangzhou. Yeah, why, why don't you, um, you know, expats live in... You know, Gansu Lanzhou or something, or somewhere a bit more off the road. Well, you know, from what I've seen, if if you do go live out there, the expats that live out there, either they're sent out there because they were, uh, they got recruited for an English teaching company and they didn't give them a lot of details about where they were going to get sent. So they ended up in some, you know, pretty remote, far away area, or they're, you know, they're they're looking over a, a, a factory, something like that. But most of the most of the industry that expats would be employed in that's not either English teaching or factory management is is in the larger cities. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I've heard those stories. They like um, basically like yeah, we got a great place, and um, it's a big city. I mean, every ch city in China has like five million people. So 
and they get, they get over there and then they get your, your passports confiscated and you end up in a Jilin or like, you know, um, Gansu. And that's usually how they end up there. And they, get, and they sort of run away from there eventually. Um, oh, I, I had Megan's a friend from the UK who, um, who arrived in her first tour in China and they told her you're in a big city in Western China. She was going to Lanzhou. She didn't know, but she arrived. They put her on a, you know, a hard, a hard sleeper train. <laughs> it was an overnight trip? What year was this? <laughs> yes. This uh, was 2009. It, it was yeah, a while back. Yeah. I don't know if you could get away with that now. That would hurt. I don't think you, you can even get those on those trains anymore if you're a foreigner. Can you? Oh, you I, can. Can you? Oh, they, they're horrible. Uh, there we go. Hey, guys. Yeah, sorry. we've got Regan here. Um, you know, he's from <laughs> Queensland, the most backwards place. So they don't have that at savings. Yeah, backward, back one hour and also 50 years. So. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, yeah, very racist. Yeah. Um, yeah, Regan. So uh, we got three guests on. Um, it's Maria, JY, and David. And yeah, we're just talking about um, you know um, this week's sort of trend topic on China Twitter, which is it changes every two days. It seems like um, uh, food waste. And they say basically there's, there was an article called China's Meal Time Appeal amid food supply worries. Don't take more than you can eat. And basically, it seems like she's kind of dying on a hill here. And she's trying to prove that China is having a famine. Um, or she's not, you know, everyone's like kind of disproving here. But she's like, no, 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 it's definitely happening. And she's, she's been going out for like two or three days, arguing with just anyone that sort of tries to disprove her. Um, and there's a long thread of evidence. And it's become kind of a meme. Because people are just making like jokes, like "Yeah, I'm in a food line," and <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just a joke. And oh, I've asked everyone here, like you, none of you are starving, right? So I'm guessing. And yeah, um, so uh, I just go to, like, why? Can anyone just tell me, like, why do you think um, the, that the Washington Post would be pushing this conspiracy, or maybe just Eva herself? <laughs> like partly. Um... Probably the West is going through kind of a bout of insecurity. Um, I don't doubt that worldwide there is great potential, I guess, for uh, problems in food security. And the UN did say so as well. I, I don't doubt it. Um, but I think it might be like insecurity on the West's part that wants to see others suffering as well kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, it's over-sensationalized. But, yeah, so the, the author is, like, cashing in on that sentiment. Yeah, it, it seems like everything that um, the U.S. is doing, it gets projected a bit over the other countries. <laughs> um, yeah, projection. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was reading just a uh, post from the Brookings Institute, which is quite a um, conservative, I think, uh, think tank. And they had a thing where it said one in five... Um, around 20% of families were having problems feeding their children in March. So it's definitely probably gotten worse um, that time. Um, I'm not too sure um, on current stats now, but it, it, if you saw those videos um, in LA where there, there's massive lines waiting for government allocated food. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, David, David, you're from Maine, right? So I'm not sure yeah. if you've had anything like that back home or. No, definitely not. I mean, my um, my part of the world is also very isolated, so maybe it's kind of like Queensland. We're also 50 years back, I think. Uh, you know, I think we're just getting flip phones now up there. Uh, but you know, honestly, it's I also come from a fairly 
self-sufficient kind of background. Uh, I guess you could describe my my family or my dad at least as kind of like or back in the eighties, he was kind of like a doomsday prepper. I guess you could say. So in anticipation of the Cold War potentially turning hot, I I grew up kind of off the grid. Oh, okay. uh, and we raised organic vegetables in the woods and just kind of waited for the world to end. And when it didn't, you know, we emerged and we went on to have normal lives. But I kind of came, came from that background. So it's uh, always just had an idea of like a lot of self-sufficiency anyway. I don't know if Derry Maine's a real place and there's any killer clowns, but yeah. I mean, that, you can always start eating people um, if it gets too bad, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we've got plenty of animals too. Lots and lots of animals, more than people. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've never been, I just know about lobsters. So as I said before, before we start recording, um, yeah. Uh, do you have any, um, views on this Maria? What do you think? Why do you think this is sort of happening? Well, I mean, I've been for, since the pandemic started, like trying to debunk every single story um, I do it in Spanish because what arrives to Latin America it's, it goes through uh, first uh, uh, Western English speaking media and and I, I honestly think that there's something with uh, liberal elites that are terrified I mean in a sort of way already what you said is like they the western world is in crisis and they are terrified of people knowing like hey in china a communist country um you can you can have like a really good life so it's always something new that you have to turn around let's say and yeah. and it happens it's, it's i mean it happens in in the us that let's say it's a hegemon in the world but also i can tell you peruvian liberal elites that produce nothing important in the world uh they are the same they they have the same reactions to anything related to china so it's like elites trying to defend their system and their position of power and and it's one after another i mean it's it sometimes it's, it's exhausting <laughs> yeah um it, it, that's, it is pretty exhausting. I've seen quite a few translations. Um, I'm guessing because um, the Monroe Doctrine, um, you know, Peru, South America, uh, the US would try to probably push their um, influence there quite hard, right? Yes. Actually, in the last 20, 30 years, um, China has become like the main economic um, um, partner for many countries in South America. However, the U.S. still has like political influence and especially national elites are very much, let's say, culturally and connected to the U.S. So they, they still have a lot of power. So it's an extension of the Monroe Doctrine. Okay. Is the current um, ruling government uh, more pro-U.S. or pro-China? Um, well, you know, a few weeks ago, the U.S. Embassy in Peru uh, tweeted something that turned out to be a lie and related to some, um, some Chinese uh, boats that were really near the, the, the coast, uh, already in Peruvian uh, territory, and it actually wasn't true. 
they, there was like a huge dispute between the two embassies. Was and that a fishing turned, boat or? Yes, yes. They, they said it was like 300 fishing. See, that, that's evidence, you know, of starving Chinese. They're just scrounging for fish. <laughs> in the ocean. Yeah, they're, go they're going to, uh, and people were saying like, like, um, um, they were saying like, yeah, they're coming here because they don't have their resources anymore. And that's an issue in Peru. It's like still in the mind of most people, there is this very Orientalist vision of China. And in a sort of way, it's like, yeah, we, they are like, we need to have business with them, but we don't like them. And, but actually the government, they answered back to the embassy and saying like, please, we are friends of the US, friends with China, and don't put us in the middle of your fight. And we were very much surprised. It's like, 20 years ago, that would have, would have and not happened. has this news been reported in Peru as well, this famine no, conspiracy? No, no, no. Okay. Not yet. I haven't seen anything about it yet, but yeah. would be about, um, Everything uh, arrives with some delay, so maybe in a couple of weeks we'll start. <laughs> what about in Canada? Um, JY, have you seen anything or...? No, I personally haven't seen anything in Canada about this, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if they are discussing that because like Canadians consume a lot of American media. So yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, I don't know what newspaper is it called the Toronto Star or Globe and Mail? I can't remember something like that. Oh, uh, they're National Post, Toronto Star, they're all some pretty, uh, some pretty far right wing kind of papers. I forgot what the what the National Post was saying lately, like National Post was trying to say that Canada has a like a left wing populism problem. Mm. or something and i forget who said it on twitter but someone said something like oh yeah well I, I actually think canada has a national post problem yeah 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 i i didn't even know that canada was kind of no, very no, conservative no. until recently i've just been seeing what they've been doing to um you know indigenous people and yeah it's quite opening it just shows that yeah, all settler yeah. states have had that, have that issue I feel like usually we talk about Canada, I mean, unfortunately, or perhaps unavoidably, we talk about it in reference to its large neighbor to the south, right? And so compared mm. to attitudes in the US, it does seem like Canada is, is more liberal. But then when you look at it in a vacuum outside of a comparison directly with the US, you know, maybe you see something different. Yeah, exactly. No, like Canada has a very effective, they have very effective propaganda in that way. Um, they're always seen in relation to the neighbor to the south so they're never really seen as the kind of like the aggressive country but 100 percent canada would you know position snipers if ever and like at, at most protests there were protests earlier this really? year right um protests against uh, oil pipelines and at some point protesters uh indigenous protesters had blocked railroads and things like that and they actually had snipers then they were ready to shoot uh if, if things ever you know if people any if they got pushy so canada is 100 percent ready to shoot i i don't see them as being really any different from the us in terms of their own domestic policy but canadians like you know want to see themselves as all high and mighty and they they look down on their neighbors to the south but they're really not that different yeah yeah um, it's the same as australia we uh <clears throat> i mean and new zealand i guess i guess new zealand is canada to, to australia but they, we all have our um, you know, impression, oppression of the indigenous um, 
It sounds good, but I mean, they at least give, um, you know, there's, there's that constitutional representation for the indigenous in some way. And because they have a treaty, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because the Brits came over like, oh, these guys can, um, they're actually fighting back, um, you know, while, while they were just massacring um, indigenous people in Australia. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's just shocking um, state of affairs. But um, yeah, um, I, I'm not sure if you all saw that um, piece of information that Eva posted where she was like, uh, there were kids apparently sending photos back um, to, to their parents to, see, to show them that they've had the plates uh, cleaned up. I mean, I talked a bit of Jay Way about this before uh, we started recording. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like, um, oh yeah, we were talking before we recorded and I was saying that like, I, I don't see it as being any different from assignments you would have as a kid at elementary school, where like they would teach you good habits to have as a kid. And then, you know, you're supposed to go home, take pictures and bring them to school to show everybody that you've, you know, learned good habits and type of stuff. It's, it's not very different from that. I, I don't see why that could be turned into or how that could be turned into such a negative thing. Yeah, it's it's only through the, the Orientalist lens that that, that looks um, oppressive or something. Because same in Australia, so much of that stuff. I remember as a child having like sort of recycling projects, you know, showing that, um, yeah. you know, we're sorting our, uh, our rubbish into, into sections and stuff like that and proving that we're not proving, but you know, showing that we're, uh, you know, saving water and all those sort of things, you know. Um, but when you put <laughs> words like regime and uh, authoritarian around around a story in China um, to the outside world, um, they can do a pretty mm. good job of, of sending... Did you have um, the Anzac Day thing as well, um, Rizzi? Like they're like, oh, oh look, we tried to invade Turkey for, for England. This is so proud. First time yeah. our country spilled blood. And I was just like, this is not cool, man. Like it's so boring. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, does that. thousands of us wow. like rushed up and died on the hill. Great. Literally dying on the hill. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's just like, you know, it, it, it's a thing you see in schools and I, I don't know what's the big threat. Um, yeah, so I'm and here also it's... the first time that what I've been taught at school in Canada was authoritarian behavior. You know, I was, I was being indoctrinated by Canada to, um, you know, recycle and save water and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, so that here would be like, oh yeah, they're, it's everything that we do in our countries, when it comes from China, it's just like, yeah, poor people. Uh, I don't know if, if you guys read a previous piece, not from this journalist, but from the one in, from The Guardian. Guardian? Oh. Yeah, it was a piece from Lily Kuo. Uh, she, she, she portrayed the, the whole thing as they are not letting people eat what they want. And yeah. Oh, <laughs> and really? They, yeah, yeah, it was a few weeks ago. Oh, Lily Kuo, yeah, she used to follow me because she thought I was on her side. Yeah, she's a bit... <laughs> They're all Taiwanese, have you noticed? This is the, the not came the DPP propaganda. Uh, <laughs> these bastards. I'm trying oh, to look it up. Yeah, and yeah. so that, that Lily Kuo article from The Guardian, that's pretty much been reprinted in um, ABC News. And they, they always reference or reference The Guardian as the source. Um, and then I haven't looked at like some of the commercial media but i'm sure they're they've been pushing the same thing and 
you know, for the average Australian, without any knowledge of Australia, uh, of China, without that context, um, you could very easily fall for it. You know, it's only, um, not everyone has someone debunking them on Twitter. Yeah, as I said, like one of my mates, he got a tattoo of Peppa Pig because he saw some fake news that Peppa Pig was banned in China. And he went to Shanghai. <laughs> and, uh, oh my God. Uh, everyone just looked at him funny. It's like, why are you showing me this Peppa Pig tattoo? Now he Yo. has this stuff. Yeah. And like, if you ever watch TV in China, that's like one of the most popular children's show, right? Like, oh, it's incredibly popular. popular. Yeah, it's just, it's just it, that's how stupid like some Australians are. Like I, now he know he knows now because like he got laughed at in China. Um, <laughs> it's it's like you're playing a game of telephone, right? You know the, the game where you you get the secret word and you turn to your friend and you say it in there and they pass it on to the next partner, right? And it goes all the way down the line and then the last person tries to repeat the phrase back and of course it's been distorted throughout the way. Uh, but also like the the news, it's not some nonsensical mm. phrase like super important geopolitical dealings of China. And also in the middle of the people, there's like three bad actors who are intentionally distorting it. That's what it's like trying to get news on China in the, in the West. And then imagine like I'm thinking about Maria who has to have one more step of translating it into a foreign language and it goes through another country's distortions. It's like the world's worst game of telephone. We call it Chinese business in Australia. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> so that, that's actually quite, um, quite apt. Um, like another point about how they always try to store everything authoritarianly, um, as you said, um, Mariah, uh, Mariah, sorry. So there was the, the, there was, I know the Guardian last year, and they talked about how it was like an eco dictatorship. I also literally quoted that, that with recycling oh, laws. Oh my and, God. What? Yeah, they called the recycling laws a sort of eco dictatorship. Mm -hmm. Shanghai grapples with strict new recycling laws. Oh, Steep fires and social yeah. credit penalties face people violating complex waste sorting rules. I mean, I saw a lot of memes about it because apparently there's like five or four bins that's quite complicated. And as you said, like, you what? know, yeah. You just go downstairs and you find the, the local, like, Shushu or Ai who has appointed themselves king or queen of the recycling zone. And you kind of helplessly dump your stuff in front of them and say, I don't know what it is. And they say, because <laughs> they stand there all day long sorting the trash for you anyway. Oh, so they like, actually have an employee, employed person. It's, it's not even well, a fully employed person, but we're talking about retirees with little else to do. So they yeah. just recycling the zone. Is their, sorry, David. Um, go ahead. Yeah, they're, they're a part of like the what's called like the the Jiadao Banshu Chu. So like they're part oh. of like the, the streets level um, organization. So like they are technically like volunteers of sorts. Or at least um, that's what the I've seen. Of the party. I've, like, I've done like work with them yeah. before, so I've seen like they would be posted to observe and make sure that people are properly sorting trash and stuff like that. Like. There are others like who are there because um, by recycling plastics and stuff, they can get like a little bit more money out of it. So there are those who are not actually volunteers, and then there are those who are actual volunteers. Oh, okay. So people don't know, Jidal Benchus was like, yeah, as um, Joe said, the street level. So the equivalent of that in the rural area would be sort of the village level. Um, cadres, they're like the lowest rank. So sort of anyone can be, as long as you're in a party, um, that, that's interesting. I didn't know that the, the Communist Party was part of it, but it, it's just funny because the Guardian's trying to make it look like, oh, how dare China's recycling helping promote, you know, eco um, environmentalism in, in China in one of the I, biggest I cities. I was with someone who was claiming, right, that like this whole thing was causing anxiety and 
this BBC article was saying that people were like super anxious about this new policy and that they were super worried, uh, which is just, you know, absurd because it's not that difficult to be sorting trash into four bins. And even then, like, there are no real consequences. Yeah, they're, they're always making uh, these jokes about, you know, China being, um, you know, just like uh, the biggest polluter and, and Chinese people also being really good at mass. Now that apparently Chinese people find it hard to sort rubbish between four bins. So none of it ever makes sense. It's, it's like that um, pork price thing they had where uh, Eva Doe herself was like, going, oh, look, the pork price has been rising to like 150%. But then you see in the Washington Post and stuff, they're also saying they're feeding pork to Uyghurs. So they're feeding this extremely expensive thing to Uyghurs, oh. but also it's rising price. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a very good point. Yeah. And there's so many jokes that, about that's, yeah. that's how I've always made jokes when people say things about food and they're like, oh, but they eat dog or something like that. I was like, it's a, it's... You know, it's, there are some places they don't eat it anymore, but there were some places that did eat dog. And, you know, it was kind of like a specialty cuisine. It was much more expensive than other types. Nobody's going to, like, slip you some dog, like, on yeah. the fly or something like that, right? It's a specialty. When it, when it was available, it was a specialty expensive thing in a couple cities, and you never had to worry about accidentally eating some. Yeah, and they never work it out. Like, China has some of the oldest dog breeds, you know, like the Sharpei, the Chow Chow. They're some of the oldest dog breeds. And it's like, how, how do we breed these dogs if we just ate them? Wouldn't we just be breeding, like, dogs for food? Why would they make, make them have 100 skin folds or really fluffy? It wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> and they're just like, nah, you know, those are the ones that escaped or something. And they, they it, for some reason, they, it's like these, you know, New York Times journalists. What's her name? That, um, uh, we we the New York Times one. She's just literally scrolling through China for any sort of township that's had one negative story, and she will post it. Ah, uh, yeah, I know who who she is. Uh, yeah, that's, it, that's, that's kind of how this one came about too, right? No, I was talking about playing a game of telephone where you start with something and it changes into something else, right? It's it's you know I. Of course, sometimes there are things actually made up out of nothing, but most of the time it's they found something, they thought it was something else, they added 15 layers of innuendo on top of it, repackaged it, and then all of a sudden you have atrocities or, or whatever. Uh, I mean, we're going back to, I mean, yesterday I, I posted a, um, a thing from CCDI, it's like the Central Disciplinarian Inspection Committee, and it was talking about why, why, why do we have this food, you know, why do we want you to care about food waste if actually, you know, domestic production of food is strong and good? Why do we have this? They use the word like, which is like, why should you have a crisis mentality? Why should you have a crisis awareness if, if there's no crisis? And yeah, so like documents like that exist when they try to encourage people to adopt a positive attitude. There's a grain of truth of something at the core of it. And then it's just coated in, in so much garbage and, and repackaged. And when it's comes out the other end it's you know unrecognizable from reality yeah i, I, I don't know i have a theory that it also has something to do with china's increasingly high rate of diabetes and child obesity um and i think this this could potentially also sort of try to be fixing that uh, i'm not too sure uh anyone has any idea on that but um well the thing too is um i know i think david you were talking about how like it, it starts with something and you know, it might not be an issue right now, but they start with the with the policy, even though like there's no actual crisis. The way I see it is that like the Chinese government in that case is actually very prescient. So they could be looking at an issue or, or a probable issue that could come along sometime in the future. 
So while I feel like uh, a lot of these liberal societies in the West, they might like only deal with an issue once it comes right at your doorstep. China actually yeah. is like looking into the near future at what could be a potential issue. And that's why like people are looking at this and like, there's no crisis. Why should we deal with this now? And that's why like, it's, it's incredibly easy to like manipulate that and turn it into something negative. Yeah. And a lot but of it makes sense. A lot of it is also based off this social credit system. Like, like the one about recycling um, and the one on um, food waste, both of them says that if you don't, by by the rules, you lose social credit score. But the thing is, I, I've never I've never actually seen. I've I've actually asked Chinese people living in China about the social credit system, and they've just like, oh, I don't really care. And like, no one really knows about it, to be honest. Yeah. Nobody knows about it. Yeah, no. it's just weird. The, the, and the people that do know about it, as you said, aren't super concerned. You can always hunt down a negative news story somewhere as, as New York Times or Washington Post have always been able to do. They can find the guy who had, you know, 30 years of unpaid parking tickets and now he can't take a flight or something like that. But <laughs> it's so minor and it's always incredibly small non-representative notes that just get bloated into China is, insert, insert name of atrocity. I'll be honest, I was really angry when I was last on um, the, what do you call it, the train from Beijing to Shanghai. There's this dude, like, he's picking his feet next to me, and I'm like, man, shouldn't this guy be banned by social credit? And he was like, <laughs> he was eating those sunflower seeds, and he was like cracking them really loudly. And he was like speaking on the floor. Anyway, it was a dirty dude. And he was like in first class, so I was just like, it's obviously social criticism for working because this guy is breaching every credit law, like whatever it is, if there is one. And it seems like it's, it's very lax if there was one, which I, I mean, it probably is, but it doesn't really affect much. And you have I, to be doing something horrible to break it. I would love it if the social credit score was something like in Harry Potter, where like, as soon as you do something, a voice comes up around you and says like negative five points to Gryffindor for doing this. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that would be good, actually. But whose voice would it I be? I love it. Like she's voice or? <laughs> like, because have you guys heard Mao speak? He, he, I can't understand him. He speaks like this thick um, Hunan. It's Hunanese, right? Yeah, Hunan okay. accent, yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, it's like, whoa. So, and the people are clapping. I'm just like, I, I don't know if these people are actually clapping, like, you know, honestly, or they're just clapping because everyone else is. Because I can understand him and. <laughs> it's interesting. So, so it's Deng Xiaoping, he had the thickest um, Sichuan accent as well. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm just very perplexed that if any, like, people must have just read like transcripts when they were doing it. Um, yeah. So, do you guys have any other things to add to this, or it's just you know, just general, just fake news being continued on well, Chinese whispers? I wanted to go back to like pork prices. Um, sure. Because you all mentioned pork earlier. And I, I don't know if I'm like, I'm no expert on like, you know, food security and stuff, but I have a feeling that if pork prices are high and, and a lot of these ex or so-called experts are kind of like basing their arguments on the fact that like pork prices are getting high and they've said that like corn as well, like corn reserves are depleting, but like there's food other than corn and pork, right? Like, yeah, yeah it's, it's about substitutes, right? So, I mean, yes, pork prices have, have gone up 150%. Actually, they've been higher for a couple years now. I, it, you know, I, I cook, I go into the, into the shops, I buy pork, I raise my eyebrows when I see the price of pork higher than it used to be. And it's much higher than it used to be. And for those that have 
uh, you know, a certain degree of, of ability to accommodate higher prices, they keep eating pork. And for those that had less ability, they reduced the amount of pork in their diet. And for those that yeah. were eating, you know, right on the border, they stop eating pork and they replace it with chicken or other proteins. It's, it's not, you know, rocket science and maybe they, and actually I even saw a report that said like, you know, the amount of chicken is not, you know, consumed is not uh, what it was expected and that people were still eating pork and buying pork because pork consumption is so, you know, fundamentally ingrained into the Chinese diet that it's just, you know, if the price is high, there's a lot of willingness to accept uh, higher prices of pork. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, even before, um, you know, uh, the Muslims came, came to China, it was very weird when the Muslims started slaughtering oxen, which is used as an animal of labor. So it was actually illegal. Um, it's only that's when beef got normalized is when halal dishes got introduced into China as well. And, you know, lamb was usually for the northern provinces. So pork was mainly the staple meat uh, for Han Chinese, especially. And it, it's just it's just really weird because like they're always talking about Chinese people eating everything from dog and all that. And that they seem to just focus on pork, as um, JY said. It doesn't make any sense. Especially but actually, last year, <laughs> it was high. I don't know as uh, as to, as it is this year, and it wasn't even news. I mean, nobody cared about it. And so the thing is, why suddenly it becomes news? Is because this. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, actually, in Canada, that made the news quite a bit. But that's because Canada is a big producer of like, um, you know, pork based products. So um, it was because like Canada. I think because of the trade war, there was a lot of tension and like Canada um, had kind of a limited amount of products that they could export to China. And then China had like banned uh, Canadian pork. And Canada, of course, you know, threw a fuss. Um, but like, and, and the fact that China did this at a time when pork prices were really high, really like, you know, made people scratch their heads in Canada because they thought, you know, if pork prices or if pork supply is so low in China, why wouldn't they want to keep buying Canadian pork? Yeah. And the reason for that is because like Canadian pork or like pork producers had, were using uh, a kind of chemical in there that like China does not allow in their imports. Oh. So yeah. it had nothing to do with like really tension or I don't know, like it really had more to do with like the fact that China had these regulations in place that Canada was not respecting. Is it similar to um, the US pork? How they have a lot of hormones in it? Or? That's possible. I'm Probably. not a teacher. Like, yeah, I'm not an expert on like food supply stuff. Because that's always confusing me because I'm like, if the US pork is that bad quality, that it's like a last resort for Taiwan or sort of forced into it. How? Surely a lot of people in the US must be dying from it or something or having huge problems. And... Well, so the thing, I mean, there's, there's, there's tons of stuff in our, in, and I know in, in American food stuffs, and it's not just pork, it's all throughout our system that is forbidden in Europe or forbidden in Asia. And, and many individual items uh, are blocked from export and Americans usually don't know this. You have to watch those like food documentaries and stuff like that. And, and I do, cause I'm a food nerd, but, uh, the, that we have pest, certain pesticides that other countries ban that we use certain hormones that other countries don't accept. Uh, and that we have high levels of maybe metals or something in our foods that exceed the minimum boundaries, uh, for a lot of other countries worldwide. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if for various reasons, China, uh, would refuse or many countries uh would refuse american food products 
Mm, yeah, we don't get that in Australia either. But again, we have a lot of farmers. So, uh, the African swine flu story was kind of big in Australia because we have, um, there's like a running, I guess you'd call it a meme within sort of right wing or even just mainstream Australian thought. And that is that we export the best produce, be it animal products or fruits and vegetables and then we import the shitty stuff because you can easily go to a um, Australian supermarket and you'll find Chinese garlic um, I'm not sure why it's cheaper I guess it's <laughs> the labor and stuff so and then the big thing is 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 with the meat and I remember seeing lots of uh, comments about Australians being generally genuinely terrified that this African swine flu infected um, Chinese pork was going to somehow make it into Australian supermarkets. So, yeah, I do remember that story being everywhere in Australia. Um, it's just Australia, I think. Remember um, it that is. article I retweeted about the Chinese trains? And it's like, dude, we already use like Chinese everything in Australia. Like, Yeah. But I think, and then, and then when this, uh, you know, COVID came along and then the connection with animals and stuff as well, uh, well, possible connections with animals. It, it um, I think it, it maybe uh, confirmed a lot of prejudices that, that Australians yeah, carried like, about. Uh, in Melbourne, they were talking about the bats and killing all the bats in Melbourne because we we've had bats for like hundreds of years um, just flying every night. And, and after that, everyone's like, oh my God, the bats are coming, got to run. It, it's so <laughs> stupid. Like, he hasn't, he hasn't done anything for this long. The bats haven't killed us yet. Why would it suddenly start killing us? We don't, it's not even confirmed it's from bats, but... Um, yeah. Was In that, a situation it, where, where, the, where the, you know, China has to kill off 40% of its swine herds because they've potentially been infected with African swine fever, and what, why wouldn't potential exports to, to Australia just drop off a cliff? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Pork for themselves at that point. Yeah, exactly. It'd be so expensive by then for Australians. Yeah, and I, that too. Yeah, I don't know. Australia's is very xenophobic. I think probably Jay White can understand. It's kind of like Canada. It's very similar. Yeah. We just import a lot of Chinese students, and we mm. export useless education, um, like Jordan Peterson level crap. And uh, right. uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> then we hate on them, and uh, which is just so fucked up. Yeah. I do think Canada is very similar to Australia in that way. Like it's been a very under the surface for many years, but it like has surfaced, uh, especially this year. And it's, it's been appalling. Yeah. Basically every house or every piece of property a Chinese person buys, it goes on like news. It's like, Oh my God, a Chinese person bought a random house in Melbourne. This is taking over our country. And they, and if you actually look at the numbers and prices, most of the lands actually bought up by American companies, not Chinese. Mm. So it's not even a Chinese people driving out the prices. Yeah. Right. Um, right. I'm not sure it's the same um, in Canada. And yeah, I'm, I'm not too, too sure. So I'll, yeah, I can't quite say too much about that. Yeah. I thought just, all the um, Hong Kongers were fleeing, were buying up all the properties in Vancouver and stuff. <laughs> that was a... Yeah, that's Vancouver. what they're saying. But like, I keep seeing articles as well that say like, that's not particularly true. Um, so me personally, I haven't looked into it. So I... I can't say much on that. I know. Uh, I heard that Vancouver has like nine Chinatowns now, right? 
That's so cool. Wow. <laughs> I was running Maria. Um, what kind of exports do, does Peru have uh, like to China? What, what, does, what does Peru mining. export to China? Mainly mining. mining. Yeah. And like what kind of what minerals? <laughs> Uh, all of them. We have. We are like a mining country. <laughs> like that. All of we them. Gold. Copper. Uh, it's, it's one of the reasons Peru still survives is because no matter what, uh, there's China that will that needs the metals. You know, like, and okay. we are highly uh, is, dependent on. In terms of like, importance of trade. Sorry, I think I cut you off again. Sorry, can you can you repeat because um, like how important is China to Peru's uh, foreign trade? Like, is it like uh, like second largest trade partner? Is it third largest? The first one. It just, oh, first, to, give you, it's the it just to give you an idea is once um, uh, an economic uh, a minister from uh, finance and economics, he said that yeah. he was praying for China to 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 do well in economics because if china went wrong peru was going to go wrong too i mean we're highly dependent on china oh wow so yeah. you, you're like australia we basically sell minerals yeah, yeah, to yeah. china but we said we pray china goes bad because we're <laughs> stupid so so then you what know the we US are a very catholic catholic country so we use this this parallels with religion um but it's like i mean whatever happens in china it will affect peru are guinea pigs the same as pigs, or is that different? Because <laughs> can't you substitute that for pigs, maybe? Because I don't think you can eat them. They're really cute. They rodents, aren't they? They're like rabbits or something, aren't they? Oh, they are. But they're called guinea pigs. They're like... Oh, we guinea pigs. Yeah, so... Sure yeah, every time... Every time I, I listen to a, I hear a Peruvian say like, oh, the Chinese, they, uh, they eat this and that. And, and I always answer back like, have you told the foreigner that in Peru we eat guinea pigs? Uh, and, <laughs> and, and they're like, okay, no, okay, they shut up. Like, no, no, uh, you should market <laughs> guinea pigs to China as pigs, like, as cheaper pigs <laughs> to eat, you know. Little pigs, snack size. Oh, guinea snack pigs. Snack size, yes, like David said, snack pigs. Yeah. I don't I mean, know if it's, if it's economically worth it to, to such small animals. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um, it's a it's a high specialty from very from Andean countries, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know. Oh, I know about Peru is like they had. Um, was it Bolivia that hates them because they stole their coastline, so now they can't fish. Anything, something like that. Uh, Chile. That's Chile. And oh, okay. Bolivia. And um, that is for another another podcast on Latin American history, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's Peru, Chile, now Argentina, I think, and Brazil are China is the main economic mm. partner. Like, so I want to know, Maria. Um, so then, if if China is Peru's most important trade partner, then what does what does the U.S. bring to the table? Why is the U.S. still like? What does Peru still want to find itself like balancing both the U.S. and China? Um, that's a good question. I still don't understand it. <laughs> because the political elites are still tied up with America, right? Yeah. Same as in Australia. 
Yeah, yeah I would right say now. that it's a very similar situation to Australia's, like culturally and the political system. Um, it's very much related to the U.S. and but the economics is mainly based on. Because I, I was surprised. China, I think China's dependence into China. Peru had a Asian prime minister, which is something Australia's never had, even though we a have president. One of, yeah, we have <laughs> one of the. Yeah, we have one of the biggest Asian populations, uh, minority populations in the world, and we have never had an Asian leader at that level. But Peru's had it. I don't. Is there like a huge Asian diaspora? Diaspora? Or? Yes. Uh, actually, it's, it's estimated that uh, ten percent of Peruvian population has some sort of Chinese uh, uh, ascendancy. Any uh, kind. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, that's very large. And it's a very long and very old. Uh, migration until the early 1990s. Now people don't want to go to Peru, but for a very long time, uh, it was the main point of arrival for Chinese, especially from Guantan. Ninety oh, percent okay. go from from Guantan. I mean, I can understand Canada signing the U.S. because they're literally right next to America. Um, mm. I mean, especially David is in Maine. You probably just walk over. It's a huge place, I heard, but. Um, <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm on the border with New Brunswick, actually. It's, it's, it is, in fact, a oh. walkable. I'm way up there. Oh, you're uh, pretty close. Uh, where is, what city is that? Is that like, uh, is that in Acadia? Uh, the closest, I mean, the closest, there's no cities on my side of the border, but the closest city on the Canadian side is probably Edmonston. Is that near uh, Derry? Or? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, or we go like, actually, so like Quebec is, is an, Quebec province is an hour's drive from my part of Maine. Uh, so vacationing and, you know, that part. And, you know, it's something that high schoolers would do because the drinking age is lower over there. Yeah, that's so weird. America is like a really obsessed with drinking culture, but yet they have such high ages. It, it's so because nice. I think we have such high ages, I think, you know, uh, it, it breeds demand for it. We want what we can't have. Yeah, I also noticed that you guys actually have ranked, like some kind of weird ranked voting system uh, compared to the other states, where you actually can have like, you split your uh, preferences during the presidential election. Kind of like Australia. Yeah, well, for, for, it was recently implemented for our governorship, actually. Oh. Uh, like, instead of, like you, you, you go through all the candidates get to participate and then whoever gets the, I think it's the top three candidates go into the second round or the finals, something like is, that. Is that some Canadian influence or? <laughs> uh, I, don't, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's, I believe it is pretty, uh, pretty uh, unique uh, among state voting systems. But then again, I'm also, I mean, I haven't lived there for a long time, so I might be just uh, not up to date on the most recent developments. Yeah. Um, so just back on um, Lily Kuo for The Guardian. So I had to read through her last 15 articles uh, for the last three months. She's not had one possible uh, uh, positive article about China. No. Out of her 20 yeah. articles, um, now I'm reading uh, the headlines, every one of them is negative. It, it, like if you live in her world, like from her headlines, you think everyone in China is being arrested, everyone's starving, you know, yeah. and they're just like mass repression and, everyone's just um you know being forced like everyone tries evil as well like this thing called re revenge travel to boost their economy. yeah that one's mental what's that about i've never even heard of it yeah and i i think there, there is a thing i, I know this sounds like i'm anti-taiwanese but um i'm gonna go very china watch here i dated a taiwanese girl for four years <laughs> so 
um, it just, it, it, there's a lot of bias from Taiwanese people, especially DPP or younger people populations against Chinese, um, the viewpoint of China. And, you know, so is Eva, and it's just not, it's just not cool if they keep, you know, letting, it's, it's like letting, um, how do I say, uh, what's a very enemy country of Australia? Actually, no, everyone hates Australia in some way. Join the club. Oh, really? Well, okay. too? Why? <laughs> is there like a rivalry between New Zealand and Australia? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in sports. I guess that's about it, though. No, Australia. Okay. I know, our, our enemies are like, say, inverted commas, commas, Muslim countries. You know, I guess that's the. You know, we have less one percent population. Yeah, but just on that, the point of, of what uh, Lily and Eva are writing, um, I guess, their Taiwanese heritage probably does have a bit to do with it. But I, I wonder if they are being given these these particular jobs like the Washington Post um, you know it's uh, it's the mouthpiece for the American political class I guess Bezos uh, yeah, yeah so the, the liberal left-wing American class especially they're like yeah and that's that's what makes it so dangerous especially uh, Lily Kuo she's in the Guardian yeah. which which yeah. uh, growing up, I, I sort of took as like a laughing pop publication, but it's totally imperialist. Uh, definitely now, yeah. if it hasn't always been. Mm. Um, well, what what so, is really apparent is the difference in how they cover things domestically versus internationally. And yes. how a very liberal perspective can align with a lot of the things that I believe domestically, but you apply that same worldview or framing to an international uh, like worldview, and all of a sudden I'm like, this is just garbage. I can't agree with any of this. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I do that. Uh, I guess, and and the BBC as well. Um, yeah. Sort of slides yeah. into that, and I think that's that's how they get us. And I think the ABC in Australia, is, as we see it, is it, it holds, um, you know, right wing governments to account, but it just constantly. Send, sending us right-wing imperialist messages um, from the outside world. So, yeah. I mean, I remember um, I, was, I had a coffee with uh, Rowan Kulik. Uh He was the Ch a China correspondent for the Australian newspaper, and yeah. um, he he just started telling me this theory because he's like a he he had a uh, he did his bachelor's degree at Exeter University in theology, and his his theory was that he's going to be in China to promote the new kingdom of heaven that's going to rise up. Oh, he's like oh. A super <laughs> Yeah, but you look at all these articles, they're all like Chinese uh, oppressing students, Chinese students, oppressing Christians. Um, yeah, sure, there's probably repression, but um, it, it's just really weird how there's a lot of, sort of this Christian vibe as well from a lot of these journalists, to be honest. And then Drew Pablo as well, he's now a socialist Christian recently. Yeah, it's uh, a religious right. element. Yeah, well, I mean, people seize on all sorts of different reasons to not like China, but for those who are especially uh, theists, the idea of an atheist officially used and defensive, I think. Yeah, I mean, look at Adrian Zenz. He, he's. I was thinking yeah. about him. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like there's some kind of weird um, evangelical um, war going on against uh, China in some way, um, and uh, it's very different from say um, the Taiwanese side because I, I met a lot of Taiwanese people when I was in uh, Beijing. Um, I, I guess it's because it's kind of the overseas Chinese community. 
and they it's really weird because they always assume because i'm from australia that i would really hate china they were just like oh hey we're getting sore like they're like chinese people are so dirty and and you always tell me all this stuff about it i'm like, I like your dude. taiwanese accent yeah i know and then <laughs> so it's just like it's it's so annoying how they do it um i'm like but dude you've lived here for like 10 years why are you saying this and your whole life's sort of uh the boat of the china uh, and they, they just can't really explain it like well you don't understand you know um i might be living my life here but i really hate china i'm like why it's like well i think they're evil it, it's kind of like china watches but not yeah it's just very yeah, anyway, I, I still do think it's mostly projecting your own insecurities on someone else, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like even when I go to Taiwan, um, there's just all these uh, kids, they will bring up to me like, oh, we all, you're always welcome here, um, Timu, because you're, you're from Australia. But if you're, you know, but you know who's not welcome? We don't want mainlanders because they're dirty and they spread disease. And I'm just like, what? Why would you tell me that? Like out of nowhere. I didn't even prompt it. <laughs> it's, it's become a part of their personality. Yeah, it's basically yeah. part of their identity. You hate on Chinese people. So yeah, their identity is we're not mainlanders. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, how could you have, you know, I'm not saying Lily or Eva, but judging from the articles where it's, every article is just like hating on mainland people. I'm like, this, you know, it sounds like that kind of bias. <laughs> I, yeah, this kind of bias has been going on for a very long time. Like I, doing research, I guess, um, before doing this uh, show, I like, I was reading an article from the New York Post from like 1987 or something. And it's crazy to see how they, they really cherry pick uh, people they talk to, to like, uh, I guess to push their own kind of twisted point of view on things. Particularly in 1987, they were talking about how like um, pork prices, again, they were super high back then. And the government apparently was, um, they, were, they announced that they were gonna ration pork and I'm not going to say that like there wasn't uh, food security issues back then, because I think Carl Ja himself also said mm. that he w had gone through some food rationing stuff in the 80s. But um, mm. th what the New York Post had done is they had like specifically quoted this one man that they interviewed who was saying that people on average eat about two to four pounds of pork per month, but that he himself eats about 10 pounds of pork per month. And so he's like, so what am I gonna do now? Am I just supposed to starve? Guess I'll starve. And uh. like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the best argument. Like they're definitely cherry picking. And they did, this, they did this like three decades ago and they're doing this now just to push on like their own agenda, which doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Well, you know, the professor. I, I wouldn't say it's decades. I'm taking a course this semester about how the West has seen China since the 14th century until, until now. And if you if you read about uh, what was happening near before the 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 start of the the Opium Wars and uh, like it's scary how similar the dynamic is to what is happening nowadays it's, okay so not yeah, decades, yeah. i was like amazed centuries. i mean i'm 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 studying all that right now and i was amazed it's like i told my teacher i this is scary because if we continue the same di dynamic it means that this will end in something not good well it's different times and everything but the same people coming here or not even coming here having maybe a bad experience or whatever and they went 
back to Europe, especially people from the from the from ah from the UK, and and given this idea of China, like this backwards and how they mistreated women and and many things that even things related to how dirty they were and blah blah blah. Many things even the same as what they say today. Because I know that's so China point. watchers have been terrible for centuries, basically. <laughs> yes, literally. <laughs> were, were they also losers back then, or like? What? Were they just like the no friends back home? Yeah, losers back home. You know, people that couldn't make it in England or something, or make it in whatever they're from. This guy okay. didn't sell enough beaver pelts, so you know he had to move the time. <laughs> yeah. And the no, and sorry. Were they writing it back, like how bad China was, back to newspapers? And yeah, papers? or even books. I, I I didn't. Well, sorry, I didn't. I bring that up, and I didn't even check the names and everything. But I can I can send you guys the my notes. It's really interesting. Really interesting. Basically, people that came as part. You know, that time Britain wanted to do uh, trade with China. China didn't want, and so uh, that. All the people that came and went to, to negotiate, um, they they all wrote things, and mostly those who who wrote negative things, but had a, um, like spoke used a very common language, very easy to understand. They had more impact, and that is the image of 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 China that, in a sort of way, has continued until now, and then it passed to the U.S. And well, I'm I'm at that point in my class studying that part, <laughs> but wow. it's yeah. it's 200 years at least because before that there was actually a very positive view of China. And yeah, it, it was because uh, you had you know Orientalism. They all wanted to get Chinese goods. They wanted to dress up like Chinese people. Had like Chinese paintings. So exactly. that's surprising. Yeah. So it's it's actually a process that I mean I'm discovering that now because I, I had this feeling like this is a recent phenom uh, a recent problem, but no, it's literally centuries. Yeah. So why do you think that um, anti-China journalists are the ones that are getting hired, like people like Eva Do? Mm -hmm. So, so I had a thought about that. Actually, I was I was trying to like work out my thoughts on it and how I wanted to present it because I've I've chatted to some uh, in in the kind of Twitter community on China, uh, some some of the folks who work for uh, some of the more you know China friendly uh, media and who have gone through stints in other media platforms and organizations before and kind of you know traced throughout their careers until they landed somewhere they where they were at least comfortable with how they were being asked to report things. And that's kind of the crux of it. That, I mean, certainly the, the reporter drives a certain, the correspondent can drive a certain amount of the, the tone or the gist of the story. But I think oftentimes, and, and it's something that I'm trying to do more myself, is we put too much blame and emphasis on the correspondent themselves when they are perhaps uh, kind of a cog or a, a helpless actor in yeah. System, yeah, I think, and their editorial no, slant is so strong. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it is, 
I mean, it's like, there's like different grades of it. Like you got, you got those, um, you know, the, the English speaking, um, native English speaking journalists coming from overseas. Then you got sort of the Chinese um, migrants going like, you know, Jiayang Fan, Jiayang, I think that's her name. Uh, yeah. yeah. You got Frankie Huang. You, then you got, you got the most famous one, uh, Australia, Vicky Xu. Um, and they're basically yeah. like a, like a mouthpiece that to, to keep using their parents as some kind of weird shield, like, oh, you know, my, my parents did this and that, and that's why China's bad. And it, it, it's, I don't know how quite to put it, yeah. I always wonder, and I think we've talked about this maybe before, that putting uh, Asian women out there to do the dirty work. Um, I, I messaged, I mentioned this just, uh, just yesterday to Timur, actually. Oh, I don't want to comment on it because, you know, that would have made me look sexist. You know how there's like a lot of people saying, you're talking about Asian MRAs? I'm like, if I said that, well, how come, you know, you put it out, a lot of these very right. anti-Chinese So I'll say it, right? Really, yeah. You I'll go. say they're like, yeah, there are the, the, the overseas Asian diaspora, apparently, at least to my eye, very few of them are working in mainstream Western media uh, for reason and maybe there are and they're much low-key or maybe they're not very active on twitter for whatever reason maybe, maybe the numbers are actually even and i'm just not seeing it but it seems like all of the or the majority of the overseas voices on china in western media are yeah it, it um, is um I, I, i'll be honest I, there is some kind of weird i, I think especially with vicky shu she tries to sexualize herself very heavily to appeal to the australian audience I think that's a different matter. I, the reason I brought it up was because I, I think they know that these people are going to cop all this abuse. So they, you know, if you're the male editor of a large newspaper, you might, you might give your male colleague um, something a bit cruisier, I guess. I've noticed in Australian politics, whenever a government's about to go, go to shit, um, they quickly promote a woman into a position to, to, to cop all that abuse. Um, and then, so on that note, I wonder if also they know that's going to happen so they can, when, when say, uh, uh, Eva Dow gets, gets criticised, they can possibly say, oh, you know, this is just sexist, you know, this isn't um, real criticism, which, to be honest, some of the Chinese nationalists on Twitter don't really help with. Um, but yeah, I think that's something to keep in mind. That's true, because um, Fergus Ryan and I had a bust up. Uh, Fergus is an analyst at uh, SP, and he instantly went and said I was a misogynist. And I asked him to find anything I said misogynistic, and he could not find anything at all. No. He just gave up and um, unfollowed me. <laughs> it's like mm. a theme of attack. But uh, uh, what, what do you think, uh, Maria? Because you know, you're, you're actually a, a, a woman and you might have a different perspective on why they well, more for being a woman, it's for uh, from the Spanish-speaking world. I would say that it's mainly men. So I don't know. Maybe it's another dynamic. I was thinking that a lot lies on the editor more than the correspondent. It's there is a Spanish um, a Spanish correspondent that he's one of the best and sometimes he writes some pieces that are like really good, really analytical and giving a, a good, a good um, um, vision of what it's really happening here. And then sometimes he, he, he publishes things that 
that you said like what happened to this guy i mean <laughs> and then some spanish friends have told me that actually the guy works he gets paid according to each journal and for each piece that he writes so it depends a lot on the editor at the end of the final result and it can be like really different you read one and you think that the guy hates china and the other one you think that he's really happy here and right. I mean, very different. So, yeah, I don't know if it's related to gender or or if it's something depression. It's depression from the journal and the editor to have. Um, I I have another friend that he has a web. Uh, he's doing some fact checking in Spanish. He's probably the only one doing it. And he was asked once to write a piece for a journal, uh, for a journal, and he was told by the editor that in that he was going to change some words because they needed to, 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 they the the journal had a, a special orientation towards everything related to China. You know? So the I have a feeling. Uh, sorry, were you? Uh, you can continue, Maria. Sorry. No, it's it's just it's how I see it. It's it's I I don't know if it's related to to gender or not. It's mm. uh, maybe, but it's what happens in the Spanish-speaking world. Let's say. Right. Because I wonder if a lot of this is like market-driven, where um, like despite the fact that in the West in general, like society has been trying to be progressive about things, but then like fundamentally like the market itself is uh, sexist and racist and so people are wanting to consume this kind of content but then it's like it's easier for them to consume it if the reporters and journalists you know if it's if it's coming from them do you know what i mean like does that make any sense okay yeah i, I can you see what you mean write, you, people want to read what they want i mean yeah, because Asian women are much more heavily fetishized in, um, you know, Western society compared to Asian men. I, so. I think that's true. If you looked at like a pie chart of, you know, Western media correspondents who cover China and you had, you know, kind of uh, Caucasian appearing men, Caucasian appearing women, uh, Asian appearing men, Asian appearing women, you'd have kind of equal distribution among three of them and then a tiny little sliver for Asian men. Yeah, yeah, I noticed it because every time I see an Asian dude in like any Western media, I'm like, whoa, what's going on? I get really surprised. Even in Australia, yeah, it's. Um, yeah. There's also like, you actually got the first one to point this out to me, David, because I saw this quite a, for a few months, quite a few people um, from the Falun Gong side have been going like, why are all Chinese men such trash? Well, you know, Chinese women are such heroes. You know, you've got Zhang Chen Chen. You got Jiang Fan, you got Frankie Huang on the Chinese women's side, and you know now got Tai Xia, whatever her name is. And now, and Chinese men, you got like you know all these crap like um, uh, Joel, what's his name, the uh, the ambassador guy. Now he's the spokesman, Jolly. Uh, yeah, yeah, him. Um, Joel, yeah, him. Uh, Jolly Jen, right? Jolly Jen, yeah. Yeah, and you got like, um, you know. Well, he's getting fetishized a little bit recently, though, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's been some funny cute. videos. <laughs> Actually, that's really weird. Let's talk about it. And it's it's super Jin. weird. Yeah, there's a lot of weird um, him smiling, but he's not like, he, he looks good for his age. Like, he's nearly 50, but he's not that good looking. He's not like, you know, uh, 
I don't know who's a good looking actor, but yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> right. so, so I don't know if anyone is actually handpicked to be, because I, I, I don't think there's anyone behind the scenes that's like, uh, you know, pushing the, the imperialists, you know, war machine and handpicking people. But I do think definitely like it's, it's being aided by the market and the market itself is sexist and racist. Mm, definitely, definitely. Um, and, and you know what, I bet if you went to look at, and I'm not saying that all of these people actually even have journalism degrees, but if you go to look at journalism uh, kind of majors in school, I, I think you'd probably see it reflected even in there. Uh, you know, who's studying what, and who wants to cover what, and what kind of the representation is across, across uh, gender and ethnicity. Yeah, definitely. And that's the, the difference as well in China, because um, I noticed that uh, gender doesn't really matter as much in choosing a specialization, because especially with STEM, you have 50-50 in a lot of subjects. Well, in Australia, I'll be For like, years, yeah. I've been going into, uh, you know, I, before I, I'm in the energy industry and we're meeting with Chinese, you know, and, and I was in the nuclear industry specifically, and I'm going to nuclear power plants and, and nuclear research facilities, like incredibly, quote unquote, nerdy places, places that you'd, you know, uh, I think I know are heavily, uh, you know, uh, biased towards one gender in the U.S. and remarkably equal uh, kind of the split that we'd have in meeting rooms and the engineering staff. Yeah, it, it's actually that's another thing that I always want, kind of wondered, like how come there's no that sort of STEM gender gap in China or even in Iran, but in um, you know in, in the West, Australia. Um, you know, my sister is a neuroscience student. And she's the only girl in her class of 20 people. And that's how stark it has been for every year for her um, doing science. I don't know why this happens. Mm, that's another food for thought. But um, yeah, so we- I wonder if by the same token, are men pushed away from journalism? I don't know, maybe not, but- There's no. a lot of male journalists. Like you look at Chinese um, native journalists in China, like Michael Anti, um, you know, a lot of them are male. And there's a lot of female ones as well. Um, you know, you go, well, wait, do and all that. Um, it, so it's, it's kind of balanced, but it's in the West, it's always female. So there's actually sort of, there seems to be more emphasis on gender roles for uh, specializations in the, in the West, um, if you get what I mean. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we've gone on for an hour and it was really interesting to have you all, all of you on. Um, so we'll probably end here for today. Uh, is there any last, thing, last comments you, anyone would like to make or? Well, I had a comment also um, related to all this correspondence um, because I was thinking about it the other day. It's like they are all based in China, in different cities. And which country would allow to have so many journalists produ producing things that are, I mean, they're not, clearly not true <laughs> and in their own territory. I mean, in other places they would they would be kicked out for spreading lies. And usually people say like, oh, China this, China that, but they are here and they are producing all this. I mean, this last one about uh, uh, food shortage is it's just clearly fake news, not, not even yeah. playing with the fact. It's like, so also to, to take that into account when people criticize China, it's like, I mean, there are many things that you can criticize here, but not the ones that, that you're saying it's like they are here and and they and they can continue working and doing the same thing that they are they've been doing even if it's not true so yeah, good point i mean um, to, to, to 
for reflection, you know, it's like, who, which country would allow what is happening here? I mean, UK Gov released a new uh, report that you can't teach anything in the United Kingdom that would promote separatism or anything that's anti-capitalism. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. funny because UK, a lot of their politicians seem to be non-stop talking about uh, Hong Kong separatism. Um, so very hypocritical there. And yeah. same as Australia, where Regan probably can talk about the, the rest of journalists, whoever that goes against the state. So I guess like, um, yeah, no, I got, um, to get back on track and like, as, as my own parting comment on, on the subject of the, the, you know, the food crisis that's going on. Um, yeah, a, a friend of mine from Shanghai actually came to visit me in Beijing this week. And, uh, you know, we went together to a government owned canteen for, for lunch, uh, I think two days ago, uh, we ordered a lot of food. Um, you know, he wanted me to try a bunch of different stuff. There was like, uh, fermented soy milk. We had, you know, lamb soup. He just wanted me to try a lot of different, like local food in Beijing that maybe I wouldn't have the chance to try. And there hasn't been, like, I haven't seen any signs of anyone telling us not to order so much food. Uh, and did you get less food or more food? Non like Eva said, it was that in one and two. No, I haven't seen any of this, to be honest. I haven't seen any of that. And like, even like just before our talk here, I, uh, I, I did call him and I was like, have you seen, like you personally, have you seen any kind of signs or have, have restaurants been telling you not to order too much food? And he was like, bro, expletive, expletive. I saw that tweet, <laughs> expletive. Um, that's BS. I don't know how how did they turn such a good thing into a bad thing? Expletive. Like, <laughs> he was really funny about it. Cause like he, of course, like from his perspective, this isn't like, this is definitely a good thing. It's a good habit, but somehow, somehow, you know, the media turns it into a negative and just doesn't yeah. get it. Yeah. So that's I mean, all I have to say on that subject, like, I guess. Like, blank China. Closing. It's like yeah. um, uh, China's building, you know, railroads and a lot of infrastructure in Pacific um, or Africa, Pacific Islands as well. And every time they do it, it's, it's seen as nefarious. You know? it, it can't be anything good. Right. It's a master plan of world domination. Yeah. <laughs> One place at a time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I would say my my final thought maybe would be just that, you know, what, what I I'm person that's you know big on both message and presentation right and a lot of the times there is something to the message even as twisted or warped as it is after the correspondents have had their claws through it that you know there might have been an interesting story there there might have been an interesting thought to have there and if it was in the hands of somebody more nuanced or deft or or just intelligent sometimes then there was maybe some really thoughtful thing to talk about right when we talk about you know, when I get back to the truth of the fact that China's got 20% uh, of the world's population and 7% of the world's farmable land. Like, that's a real thing. That's a real problem. The idea that there is maybe, even if it's not here, present today, in this exact moment, food scarcity, that there might be, in the back of your mind, some concern about food security, kind of mm. just there in the back of your mind that's that's real like that's if you're a chinese government planner and an agricultural planner and economic planner you think about that stuff of course now what's the right way to treat that topic china has a famine no like there's 
such there's a much better way to talk about that topic and a more intelligent way to talk about it. we just don't see it yeah i mean it's just like the Uyghur story you know um like we 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 talk about there's definitely oppression towards um you know people of Uyghur descent um because you know you're being forced to do um, education but they're, they're, they're like no it's genocide they're just killing all of them you know it's, it's just stretching it right like it's it has to be to the extremity and you can't have any nuance at all. It's just, no. yeah. And it's, it's every single issue on and on and on. I, I go and you, you find yourself forced to, to end up defending what seems like an extremist position. And then you get categorized, you get put on Twitter lists, uh, chill genocide apologist tanky. And you're like, come on, like I would be happy to have a nuanced, thoughtful discussion with you. Now I'm, I'm getting placed in this bucket because because you know, I wanted more nuance in this discussion. Yeah, look and at Carl Zah. He's getting yeah, attacked I, as a genocide denier, and he's never denied any genocide. Yeah. I agree with you on that. I started this because there's, I, I mean, for me, it's a lot. Of, the pandemic had a lot to influence influence me a lot in the sense that I honestly believe that if China was treated respectfully and like an equal people would have learned better how things were really going on and the world could have learned more let's say uh, and instead we were hearing all these stories about uh, every, you know you already know that um, and but my intention is not to be like yeah, pro-china is to have a nuanced debate and i end up being this pro-chinese <laughs> defender and accused of the last one was uh, that I was a human rights abuser and and it, it's not my intention but it's so polarized that you end up in the same in, in one bucket as, as I think David said yeah, that's right that's basically as you said like a lot a lot of this story reverberates a lot of Chinese overseas Chinese they never used to be political until they started seeing all the fake news and that's been spread around and they, some of them were actually anti-Chinese government, all of these overseas Chinese, but they came and messaged me, like, but ever since they saw what's happened, they become sort of accused of being pro-China shields. They never thought that would happen. So yeah, it's a very interesting point. But yeah, thanks, thanks everyone for coming. Um, I'll put all, when I, we, we edit the episode and publish it, I'll put all your links and names down in the, um, the tweet. So, um, yeah. you know.
牵你